This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. A quick note about this episode. We discuss potentially upsetting content, including suicide and violence towards children. Please use discretion while listening to this episode. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. Where we give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hello and welcome to episode two of season four of our Practical for Your Practice podcast. I am Corinne Lefkowitz, one of your hosts for today, and I am joined by both co-hosts, Dr. Kevin Holloway and Dr. Jenna Ermold. Hello, both of you. Hello. Happy to be here. Same. I'm excited for today. You're excited for today. I I am. Because of our excellent topic that we have? Oh, yes. I, I have been excited about this topic since we since you brought it up. This is Corinne's idea, so that's why she's introducing it. But I've been very excited for this episode. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, there continues to be a lot of pressure on this podcast. But <laughs> I am also excited about this. I think this is going to be a really um, useful topic. So without further ado, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Um, we've been uh, playfully calling this episode our EBP confessionals episode. Confessions. Confessions. <laughs> <laughs> but not not really. Um, the idea came from the types of questions and concerns that we get quite a bit in our workshops and our consultation from a therapist, clinicians, providers um, who are maybe new to EBPs, new to protocol-driven therapies, and um, have worries, have understandable worries mm-hmm. and concerns about doing things right, um, getting doing everything in the order it's supposed to be done and worries about what happens if my patient, what happens if my patient doesn't get better? What happens if my patient dissociates, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think you would both agree this is a topic that comes up all the time. All the time. And, and reasonably so. I mean, like, I think any of us, when we're new to something, we're wondering about, you know, how could it go wrong? And I think it's maybe paired with worries that if I do something wrong or I say something weird or it goes in a way it's unanticipated that the whole therapy is destroyed. The person's going to be way bad off, you know, like worse than if they never came into therapy at all. And there's a lot of, I mean, I don't mean to be, to, to minimize this, like, but you know, kind of catastrophizing, right? Like I'm going to totally destroy my client's life. And, and you go to these workshops and you watch these videos where all the videos are perfect and the therapist was wonderful and they did everything right. And there's this, feeling like maybe I'm not going to be that good at it. So like, yeah, I mean, like it doesn't always go right. Even for people who do this all the time, you know? So, so we are volunteering ourselves as tributes to show you how (laughs) imperfectly, how perfectly imperfect we are in every way. This is like us getting uh, all vulnerable. How things (laughs) work out. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that is the goal of this, um, EBP confessionals episode that actually we're going to carry along, hopefully for the rest of the series, the season. But we wanted to start by demonstrating that 
We are your CDP subject matter experts and podcast hosts who have been providing EBPs for many, many years, have had the same fears and the same worries. And in fact, those fears have come to fruition and we've had to deal with those things happening in sessions. Um, so we're going to, like you all said, be vulnerable, share those ideas and hopefully also um, talk about what we learned from it and hopefully also find out that we didn't actually ruin our patients' lives as Kevin had predicted. Right. It's recoverable, right? Mm-hmm. It is recoverable. So um, the other thing we're going to do is we're going to keep for the rest of the season, asking our guest hosts to share their own EBP errors or fears as well and get some also from other CDP subject matter experts, but we're putting ourselves on the line first. So here we go. <laughs> All right, Corinne, so my anticipatory anxiety is really high, so I want to go first. I want to get my confessional out of the way um, and, and get it out on the table. So We are um, ready for you, Jenna. Okay. Please confess. Okay. I mean, there's so many examples I could give, but let's just let's just pick one. Um, as some of you listeners may know, I'm one of our PE, prolonged exposure uh, trainers, and um, so I'm going to tell a story from early days when I was just starting doing PE with my I think I really do think it was my first client I ever did PE with. And um, like many of you have expressed in the workshop and in consultation, one of the things that I was struggling with was to make the rationales my own, to find my pattern, to get the verbiage that made it sound authentic. And like I was sort of delivering this in a way that how I would speak and not just sort of the script from the manual. Um, and so I was on session two where we were, you know, kind of talking about why we do in vivo exposure, why we approach these things. Things, people, places, um, activities that might, uh, you know, call, elicit some distress relating back to the, the trauma. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of had this out-of-body experience as I'm delivering the rationale. I wasn't entirely sure how, how well I had done that um, and got to the point where my client and I were trying to work together to develop the list of items he was avoiding or, you know, to develop that in vivo hierarchy. Um, list and, you know, started to get some unusual items that were not well-defined and more sort of themes of things, which made me sort of panic that I hadn't explained things well to him as I had feared, right? I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, so all the self-doubt comes in. I wasn't clear. I don't know what I'm doing. He's not understanding this. I'm totally failing at this. Um, and as that's going through my head, what comes out of my mouth is, and, you know, as he offers up an item, and I apologize, I can't remember exactly what the item was. Um, I say the words, you know, okay, but like, do you really think that's Sudsworthy? Um, and, and, and many of you might sort of remember <laughs> a Seinfeld episode that had very similar oh, yes. phrase in it. Um, and so now not only am I having all these, these thoughts, you know, and, and, um, you know, hyper aware of how inept I was in my rationale. Now I think, oh my God, he knows I just sort of quoted Seinfeld, which is totally inappropriate to do in a session. So like, <laughs> Everything, my whole brain is exploding as I'm trying to kind of now bring things back to this, this, just the simple list of items we're supposed to be. I can't even do that, right? I can't even figure out a meaningful way to help him identify items on his hierarchy. Now, looking back. Horrifying. 
you know, with with sort of more experience and having done this, you know, for years and and getting lots of consultation. What I what was really problematic for me was that what he was giving me was sort of theoretical and we needed to work together to refine those into um actual things that could be approached or, you know, this is where sometimes people get stuck, um, you know, kind of figuring out how the items can kind of link back to sort of this overall core fear that they have. And so had I been in, you know, I think I did bring this to consultation because I was being supervised at the time, you know, we kind of problem solved how, how to do that. But because I was so anxious and so like wrapped up in my my rationale and how imperfectly I had delivered that um, and that he wasn't giving me these concrete good, you know, items off the bat, it just sort of spiraled. Um, and again, this is, like this it, is so oh. relatable, but like, but before you get to the solution and how you, how it all worked out, yeah, like, yeah. what happened? Did you ruin the client's life? Like, did you, did he fail? <laughs> I, I threw up in the trash can. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And that's that's what is so wonderful about this uh, example is he had never heard any of this before. Right. Like he didn't know how imperfect I was delivering stuff to him. We were just like kind of muddling through this and working or, you know, working our way through it. He had no expect he had not read the script. Right. He didn't know exactly what I was supposed to say. Um, you know, maybe Sudsworthy was what's the phrase we all used. He had no idea. <laughs> so, you know, uh, he came back. I mean, so I, I guess if, you know, in terms of how it worked and the good news is we were still able to identify a couple items that were concrete, specific items, uh, tangible things that he could work on between session two and three. And I got to get some consultation to, you know, talk about how hard it was for me to figure out taking these more esoteric kind of theoretical things and bring them to concrete things we could do behavioral experiments with. Um, and we adjusted the following week. So um, we, we we could, you know, as many of you know, that in vivo hierarchy is a work in progress and nothing taught me more yeah. than that's really true than kind of flubbing it um, this first time with my, you know, Sudsworthy judgment. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and he got better and he, you know, took back all this territory despite, despite that. And we might've even laughed at it at some point towards the end of treatment. He had a great sense of humor. Um, <laughs> and I, and I think we recovered fully by the end of it. He maybe and, did get the reference. Yeah, he, he probably <laughs> did. And is like, I, she's a Seinfeld fan. And I'm a Seinfeld <laughs> fan. That's great. So that well, therapeutic alliance shot up. Right. See, I think that's one possibility that he was a Seinfeld fan like the rest of us and like found that hilarious. Um, but I have to admit, like, I've heard you tell this story before, right? Because we've, we've chatted about it. And when I'm, oh, I'm struck by a couple of things. One, it's so relatable because like every protocol that we do has its own unique language that therapists yeah. are worried yeah. about getting wrong and misexplaining myself included. But then also the term Sudsworthy, it doesn't sound all that bad. And so like, I'm thinking in your mind as the beginner therapist, it sounded so terrible and right. so dramatic. So unprofessional. Like, yeah. But when you, I'm like, oh, that's it. Like, that's, that's what you said. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, you know, right. Similar to that. I, I've actually seen a video of this session. Like, you know, that we, we have permission to use it sometimes in our workshops. And so I've seen the video and I got to tell you, like, I've heard Jenna tell the story before as well. And I watched the video. I was like, that's, that's nothing like that. And it, what it, yeah. it, what it comes out to me is that 
what's fascinating to me is that I think a lot of the times the things we're worried about and maybe even an experience of feeling like we've really failed or messed up is really an internal experience, right? Absolutely. Because what exactly I saw right. in the video was fine. Like, I mean, you it didn't, it didn't see the dumpster fire in my head. Right. <laughs> you know? But maybe that's comforting for all of us doing therapies right. too, is that sometimes our, our anxieties or our fears about, you know, what this is going to lead to, or how have I damaged this person? Maybe that really is an internal experience and the client's fine. You yeah. Know? And in the client's head, and, and then we can kind of wrap this one up, he was probably also feeling equally weirdly anxious, trying to right. come up with the perfect list for right. the therapist he was working with because he 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 wanted this to go well. He was a really um, you know, really invested. Um, and you know, so we were both probably so wrapped up in our own internal right. crazy. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, but then we we just like walked past that, moved on to the next session, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and and it it was fine and no damage was done. Um, yeah. I know you want to wrap up your confessional, but yeah. I, I'm not done with it yet. I just have one more point. <laughs> I think you're avoiding yours, Corinne. I think this is, <laughs> this is strategic. <laughs> it's just the other piece. It's not only that your client was likely anxious about, you know, coming up with a perfect hierarchy item and, and answering the questions. Also, our clients are just anxious in general yeah. about it. And right. listen, I think everybody should hang on every word that I say, because, you know, everything that comes out of <laughs> my mouth is brilliant. But clients aren't actually do. doing that. Yes, you should. Somehow clients aren't actually doing that. And right. they're they're in their own heads worried about uh -huh. um, the session itself and what's coming up for them. So it's also quite possible that it hasn't even registered for them because exactly. they've got their own dialogue going on. Exactly. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's it. I feel better now getting that out there for the whole <laughs> world to hear. We are Thank here to support you. So cool. No soup for you. Let's just let's, let's make it all about Seinfeld. That was not the reference. No confessional for you. <laughs> well, thank you, Jenna, for getting us started. I think that was, like I said, a very relatable one um, and podcast episode worthy, if you will. <laughs> Perfect. Well played. <laughs> oh, Kevin, how are you feeling? Do you want to step into the confessional or should I? Mine's, mine's darker than that. So I don't know if we're, are we ready for dark or do, what do we want to do? I mean, I can go. I'm happy to. I've okay. kind of told this story before. Okay. So let me, right. let me jump into it. So this will be a little bit perhaps of a mood change. Um, some similarities here. So, I mean, people who've listened to the podcast before will know that I'm also a PE instructor and have been doing PE for a while and really, really love it. And it's fantastic. And like anybody else starting a new protocol, you know, early in my days, I was anxious in the very same ways, right? So I always wanted to make sure I'm doing everything right. And um, in addition to saying all the right words, I wanted to make sure my face was doing the right things and, you know, that I, you know, kind of passing noises, whether it's like a mm or, you know, whatever was, was in line and, and, and really kind of felt like while I believed the instructor, when I learned PE that, Hey, this is very robust at the same time, it was like, I really wanted to do the best that I could with folks. So um, the part that, that I guess I, I hadn't thought of too much of is self-care as a therapist, right? And especially, I mean, all of us are going to be working with tough things, with tough clients, tough presentations, tough uh, experiences they've gone through. And especially when you're working with trauma, um, that can be a tough one as well. So um, my story or confessional, I guess, is related to a client who had, uh, who, who had been deployed downrange um, to a combat zone and their 
con- or their confession. That, that's my confession. Their index trauma that we were working on um, was a was a relatively common story that I think many of us have heard who have worked with combat related trauma. Um, it really, really briefly, he was the the driver of a vehicle that was at the lead of a of a convoy, and at the particular time of his of his index trauma, the current rules of engagement were really tough. Like um, at the time, it was not uncommon for convoys to or or insurgents to try to stop convoys to make them more vulnerable to ambush or, or attack or that, and so various strategies were. Uh, use like maybe you know trying to make animals go out into the road or you know having some kind of distraction or whatever and sometimes even you know kind of sending children out in front of convoys because you know that would slow down the the convoy make it easier to do something bad um and so my client in, in his index trauma it was just you know this this rule of engagement was relatively new and um it just you know as they're driving through a, like a market street a child came out in front of the convoy and he's, you know, he's really kind of having that initial, um, I guess, kind of like a reaction to, to try to slow down and, and, you know, stomp on the brakes, that kind of thing. And everyone else in the vehicle was yelling at him to keep going. You know, you put your foot back on the gas. You've got to keep going. You're going to get us all hurt if you slow down. And so, you know, there's all this pressure to keep going. And, and the, the story was that he did end up striking this child. It was really, really sad, right? Now that is pretty of, awful. Thank you for it, the I know. Really <laughs> <sad>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I know we've already done trigger warnings and and that too at the beginning, but yeah, I mean it's kind of a mood change. Now, I mean there were there were two major things to this that worked hard. Um, you know, one is again kind of being aware of personal blind spots and and taking the time for self-care. And I wasn't paying as much attention to that at the time as I probably should have. Um, and recognizing too, that sometimes things will come up that really resonate with our own stuff that we weren't anticipating. Yeah. So even doing like the initial assessment and, um, you know, the intake stuff and really kind of getting a sense for what we we're going to work on. I hadn't heard the full details of this story until we got to the first imaginal exposure session. And so I wasn't kind of like already prepared to hear the details of this. I, I, this wasn't part of it. So the way he described the story too is that, and this is also not uncommon. So I, I mean, I've heard this in a number of other settings, but um, kind of just before, I don't even know like, like the right way to say it, but just before he struck this child, there was this moment where he and this child kind of locked eyes. Right? He was looking at him and, and the child was looking at back at the, my, my client. And he said that in that moment, it really felt like, you know, this child was about the same age as his own child back home. And so it wasn't, it was, it was horrifying enough to, you know, to harm this child, but it was even more horrifying because in that moment, it felt like he was harming his own child. And that was really tough. Right. And so I remember that like, as he's approaching this point of the story, the first time his eyes are closed, which is in, like the best thing ever for me, because my face is doing all sorts of contorting and, you know, emoting everywhere. And in my head, I'm, I remember having the kind of almost on loop, this thought of like, don't run them over, don't run them over, don't run them over. Like as if somehow thinking that was going to change my client's story. Right. So, and then, you know, so, and, and at the time too, the other thing that was really impactful for me is that my own son was about the same age as the child in the story even though it had happened several years before. And so I was feeling this extra impact too. It was tough. It was really hard to hear this story. It was really, you know, personally gut-wrenching. And so I remember I went home that evening from work and, you know, my wife was noticing, she's like, there's something 
different about you? You want to talk about it? I'm like, nope, can't talk about it. And you know, <laughs> I'm thinking I you know, can't really confide in any details here. And then um, I remember, I think a colleague said, hey, what you can do is talk to a colleague, like get some support, get some consultation or, or supervision. And that was really so important because we all hear pretty dark things. And especially if you're working with trauma, you're going to hear really dark things a lot. And sometimes those dark things can really hit us personally too. And in order for us to be our best and to work our best with our clients, we, we want to be very thoughtful about that self-care. So I, you know, talked to a colleague and we talked about in some ways kind of processed what that experience was like for me internally, of course. I think my client had no idea that was going on internally for me. And I, I hope that's true because I hope it didn't impact how I worked with him. And part of the good news, too, is something else that we say in our PE workshops, and that is exposure works for us as well as therapists. And it was easier to hear his story the more that we went through it. Um, just as he was kind of getting better going through too. So, I mean, in some ways, but I guess it, it isn't also as dramatic as like, oh, I screwed up or I messed up or, or something. But I, I was feeling all this pressure of like my face was doing things I didn't want it to do. And I was worried about what if he opened his eyes and he saw my face and he would think I think he's a monster or that. And then I was worried about what if I gasped or you know, cry. I mean, I or yeah. cry. I mean, I really and I really did at some points. And I was like, I really didn't want him to see that. And, and even thinking back on that, too, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, I, ideally what we want to do is be thoughtful of the meta messages we're sending. But I think it's also an OK message that, hey, we recognize that this is horrifying. And as a human being, I can I can, you know, kind of relate with that hurt. So, yeah, so that is, was, a, um, was a really tough one. That, it's a really powerful example. And um, so common, I think, is like we. If we're, especially if we're working with trauma, but as you said, Kevin, working sure. with any kind of issue, yeah, we worry. We worry about what we're going to hear and how we're going to handle it and what message we're going to give to clients. Yeah. Um, so that is really relatable. Then add the level of when it hits you personally, when it hits home personally, that, oh, that's really, really tough. And I, I questioned myself too, like, can I even do this work, yeah. you know? That's what I was going to say. And, and like, what does it mean about me as a therapist or... You know, my, I, I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of self-judgment going on too. And I feel like one of the most important experiences was getting that support and recognizing that, you know, it's okay to be human. It's okay to have feelings. And, you know, and, and, and maybe it's actually a good thing to, to feel moved by something like that. And we have support, we have tools to reach out to, 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 to work through that. I, I, one of the good things too, is that we talked about is that I didn't, it, we, we talked together about, should I even continue with this case? Right. And I think there's sometimes where maybe we shouldn't. And in this case, I felt like, you know, we, I talked with my, my colleague that I was consulting with and, and we worked through some issues and i I felt like we decided together that, no, this makes sense. I could continue working on this case, but, and, and I don't think it would be a bad thing if we had concluded otherwise either, but you know, that, that was another question I was asking myself. Can I, can I be, not objective, but can I be helpful to this person? Can I be present for them rather than just be worrying about my own stuff that was going on while we were working on this? So I think that's such a common core fear for us um, <laughs> doing PTSD treatment. You know, can I, can I do this? Can I handle this? I'm supposed to, you know, be new information into the system and, you know, handle this in such a certain perfect way as you described. And if I don't, um, what does that say about me? And it means I can't yeah. do the work. And, um, and again, back to Corinne's point with my client, you know, your client was so probably far away from noticing that. 
Yeah. Um, but and with distance, time, I can acknowledge that. Right. But, but, yeah. but in that moment, it really felt like it. So I'm glad you had a colleague to reach out to, um, to be able to get support around that for sure. But I, I, I have definitely been there. Corinne, I don't okay. know if you've been there, wow. but um, I've definitely had I, a, a client like that. Oh, I've had more than one like that. Um, I've definitely related to that. And you, you were making me think of a couple of examples of that in my own practice, which I guess could be my confessional today for today, <laughs> at least. I'm, um, I'm just, ready to pass the torch. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I've definitely had that fear come to fruition. And it hasn't just been, by the way, with PTSD work. So like, I mm -hmm. guess I want to make the point again that this is not just trauma related stuff or PTSD related stuff, but um, I've certainly had that experience with clients. And uh, when you said, Kevin, that it was a question of whether you should even work with that client, that's kind of when it, where it went with me. Oh, okay. So the relevant or the personal relevance is that um, I have a family member who died by suicide um, mm. and I was already practicing at that time as a psychologist. Um, um, my first client back when I got back to work um, was a brand new client uh, to me. And she came in for her intake and said that her issue was that she was coping with the death of her grandmother. Um, and immediately I was like, I, I can't do this. I, I am in no position to do this. I can't work on grief right now. I've got my own grief to deal with. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, what ended up happening is I, I, just like you, Kevin, I took it to consultation and um, I actually quickly realized that even though it was sad to hear her story, her experience was so different from mine. It, mm. it, you know, her grandmother had passed away after a long illness. She was sort of prepared for it. There was a peacefulness to it. And so it was so dramatically different from my experience that even though there was grief involved with it, I, I could be there with, you know, with consultation. Um, uh, I could be there for the client. We, and in fact, we worked together for like over a year until I ended up leaving that clinic. So like the work yes. was good as far as I can tell. Um, but then I've had the opposite, which is actually many years after that, I had a client come in and he, what he wanted help with was coping with the suicide of a friend. Mm -hmm. um, and he shared mm -hmm. a little bit of detail and it was just way too close to home. There was no way, I, I did not feel like there was any way I was going to be objective or even be able to keep a, you know, not cry in session, which yeah. was not going to be helpful for him. It, there's right. one thing to show, to be emotion and be a human. And it's another thing to just not be able to handle it. So again, using consultation and using my um, colleagues, fortunately, they, they understood where I was coming from. A colleague agreed to the referral. I talked with the client and, you know, gave some vague explanation of how we have somebody on staff who's really, really skilled in these particular types of issues. And I referred them to that practitioner. Um, but it was really important for me to realize that I had, I had to have boundaries in order to maintain my yeah. own sanity in addition to being a good therapist. Um, and no so shame yeah. either. You know, I think I think sometimes we feel like as therapists, I should be able to take on every case, every situation, every presentation. And I have to be, you know, like a super expert at all of these different things and on all these different ways, be Teflon and it never sticks. And there's no shame in at all in recognizing where your boundaries are and setting your boundaries and, and saying, OK, this person would be better served in another situation or with another therapist or, or whatever. I think there's nothing. Right. In fact, that's ideal in those right. situations. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that because at the time I definitely felt ashamed as in, you know, things that I was telling myself were, oh my God, it's been however many years, let's say four or five years. I should be over this enough by this point to be able to help a client. This is silly. Um, So I think it ultimately was the right decision, but there was still shame involved Mm -hmm. with it um, Mm -hmm. at the time. Like what kind of therapist am I if I can't even be mentally healthy all the time, 100% everywhere, right? (laughs) Right. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, the best course within EBP is to not do the EBP and let somebody else do the EBP. Let somebody else do it. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think that, and I think consultation is the the thing that has helps us get to that place. It's so hard to do that alone um, and worry alone and and come out of it in a good place if you're not sort of bouncing that off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. someone. So I guess if we're going to even um, do our actionable intel, um, because as (laughs) we do in every episode, we want to leave listeners with, you know, actionable intel. This is just a great time to emphasize. I think you heard with all of our confessionals when things felt like they were going wrong or we couldn't handle something or we were catastrophizing or whatever, being able to bounce that off of a colleague or a supervisor or somebody to get some feedback, um, brainstorm ideas, really kind of consider uh, what would be some good options moving forward was essential. I mean, it it was it was literally essential. So important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't worry alone. Um, Don't just process uh, your your sessions where things go perfectly. The whole point of your colleagues and your you know consultation is to say, man, this was where I hit a tough. This is where I hit a bump, um, and and what do I do with it? So you know whether that's through CDP that you get consultation or through you know somebody in your workplace or somewhere else, foot stomping that that's that's a really critical and helpful way to get past these um, things that you feel you need to confess when things when things go a little bit wrong. <laughs> perfection second, is not an option in not EVPs. An option, not an option. It will, <laughs> it will not be perfect. Um, expect imperfection. And then I think the second thing that really is relates to that is, um, you know, even if we're really well trained in an EBP or really excited to start an EBP, if there there will be clients and situations that resonate with us, um, some that we can proceed with, some that really are red flags that we probably, they, you know, a client would be better served by somebody else. And again, a great way to figure that out and to address that um, is to is to talk to somebody about it. Um, so so really, it's consultation again, um, but in the in the eyes of self care, in the name of you know using self care, or you know there might be sessions where you need to make sure you schedule a little break after, um, or you yep. do go yep. take a quick walk, or you make sure that evening you do something nice for yourself. We're terrible with self care. All of us can probably relate to that. Um, so you know with these tougher tougher clients and and situations that that just becomes more important. So um, actionable intel, consultation and self-care um, and use those supports that are in place for you as a provider. Uh, and so, give yourself a break. Like you said, you don't mm-hmm. have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for wrapping up that actionable intel. Um, the reality is there are a lot of fears out there and there are a lot of mistakes that we've made. In fact, I haven't even gotten <laughs> to mine, my real mistake yet, which has to do with vomit. Um, so we're clearly going to have to come back to that at a later yes. episode. And we have a um, confessional that our good friend and 
previous uh, original podcast host, Dr. Andy Santanello shared. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really would like to come back and do another episode of confessionals along the way. And I would really like to hear from our listeners. I think we all would about Mm -hmm. their fears regarding EBPs, because we can work that in. We can talk about those fears. We've probably experienced those problems over time. So we are going to invite you. Um, to share your fears, share them with us. And Kevin, can you tell us where they should share that? Yes, we. you can leave us a voicemail at this really fantastic service called SpeakPipe. So it's at SpeakPipe, uh, just two words, no spaces, anything, dot com slash CDPP4P. So that stands for Center for Deployment Psychology, Practical for Your Practice. So SpeakPipe.com slash CDPP4P. And tell us if it's okay if we use your voice recording in the episode or if we just if you just want us to kind of hit the high points. But but uh, yeah, we'd really appreciate hearing from you. So that's it for this episode. Uh, we hope you listen in again soon. And, and thanks for joining us on Practical for Your Practice. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, like and share. Until next time. 